5 verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son, Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that eternal life is in his son, Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So Lord, as we're coming to the conclusion of this fantastic epistle that has opened my eyes to many things, I, I pray that your Spirit will come and begin to open the doors of hearts God, that where there's darkness, you would flood your light in and that students would say, Aha, I see. That there would be true saving belief in this room. A belief that receives everything Jesus is for them. Lord, we want assurance. We want confidence. We want passion and joy in our salvation. And so I pray that you help me tonight to deliver the truth in clarity. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you uh, were following along that reading and you were confused or baffled by some of that terminology, join the club. This I was, I was dreading coming to this passage, and the weasel I am, I thought maybe I'll just kind of pass over those blood and water phrases and just ignore them and touch on something really good. And then this guy the other week, asked me, so Brandon, um, I'm really looking forward to the time when you get to the blood and water passage, because I want to know what that means. And I'm like, darn, I can't skip it. <laughs> so here we are at a difficult, complex little section. The bottom half is great, but that first two, three verses is like, rip my hair out, you probably tuned me out at that point, but you shouldn't have, because you missed the rest. So here we are at a difficult passage, and I'm going to do my best to make it clear in such a way that it doesn't only give us knowledge, but it gives us assurance of the things that we need to know, such as, I have eternal life. That's what we're going for, is assurance, and I'm going to do my best to make this clear for us. Now, with that said, those scholars debate on the meaning of this blood and water thing, and there's a lot of different interpretations out there, and I'm not going to claim that I am the right one. I'm just going to try to give what I think is helpful. Though I say that, what I'm so thankful is that though this is confusing, one thing is not confusing. And that is the clear message of 1 John, that we have assurance of eternal life on a number of conditions. And tonight's condition is that we have assurance of eternal life by believing and receiving God's testimony. Believing and receiving God's testimony. Namely, the testimony that eternal life has been given to us in Jesus. That's his testimony. 
And by believing that testimony and receiving it, two very important distinctions, we have full-blown assurance that you are indeed an inheritor of eternal life. That's what he's going to say. So if you get boggled in the whole, what blood and water, this is the weirdest thing in the world. Who writes about blood and water together? If, just forget that and remember the one main thing that John wants us to pull away, and that is that we need to believe the word and testimony of God above the word and testimony of man. That's what counts. And if we believe in that testimony and receive it, then we have assurance of eternal life. So if that's confusing, be clear in that aspect, okay? So with that introduction out of the way, let us look at this. So the point he's going to make, like I said, you have assurance if you believe and receive God's testimony. What is God's testimony then? Well, look at verse 11. This is the simplest verse to explain what John is talking about here. He says, this is the testimony. Two things. Number one, God gave us eternal life. And number two, this eternal life is in Jesus. Simple. The testimony of God, what He wants us to know. I've given you eternal life. You'll live forever with me. That's great. How do I, where do I, when do I, what? It's in my son Jesus. I sent Him there is eternal life bottled up inside of him. You believe my word about this. You receive Jesus. Bam! Eternal life enters into you. So that's the testimony in verse 11. God gave us eternal life, and this eternal life is in Jesus. So in short, God gave us Jesus to save us forever. That's the short of it. That's the testimony. Now, since the eternal life is in Jesus... It's very important at this point that we understand who's Jesus then. I mean, wouldn't that be horrible if eternal life is in Jesus, the Son of God, and you've been lied to and you're believing this Jesus? Eternal life is here but not here? I believe, the Bible says in Matthew 7 that many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We preached for you. We did all kinds of things in your name. What do you mean you don't know us? Yeah, people thinking they know Jesus don't know Jesus. So, I think it's abundantly important that we, thank you, it's abundantly important that we understand the Jesus who's the Son of God. So that is what verse 9 wants to say. Not man's opinion, God's opinion of Jesus. Verse 9 says, if we receive the testimony of men, okay, but the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he's born concerning his son. This is the testimony. What's the testimony? The previous verses. That's the testimony. So, here we come. The imposing, intimidating, dreaded section of water and blood is what we need to look at to define who is Jesus. Verse 6 says, This is he who came. By water and blood, Jesus Christ. This is how John's going to describe who is Jesus. He's the one who came by water and blood. Could you make that easier for us, John? The one that came by water and blood? Seriously? Oh, side note here. Um, there's a book out written by um, somebody Pullman. I think it's Peter Pullman. And it's called 
The good man Jesus and the scoundrel Christ. This is why we need to know who's Jesus. Because he's writing a book called The Good Man Jesus and the Scoundrel Christ. You hear that title? His, his book is a fiction and he admits it's totally made up. But he writes it in a way in historical context that people are reading this and believing it. He writes about one good man named Jesus. And Jesus was born of Mary... And he has a twin brother named Christ. And the two grew up together. And Jesus was popular among the people. And Christ was popular among the religious leaders. Jesus was popular. Christ was not. And eventually, Jesus gets crucified by the religious leaders and he dies. And when all the apostles and disciples are sad, Christ feels bad that his brother Jesus is dead. So he shows up to the disciples and says, I'm alive. I rose from the dead. And the church starts. I'll give him props for creativity. But already there's a fundamental error there. Uh, people who slept with Jesus, ate with Jesus, 24-7, they didn't have homes for three and a half years. Do you think they can't recognize the twin brother's difference? We all know twins. And they appear similar at first, but when you know them, they are not similar. You, you totally see the differences. And that's, that's one fundamental error there. That's totally, anyways, I mean, we're not, we need to know Jesus, the glorious Son of God, not some admired, good-natured, positive thinker. So, he's the one who came by blood. And water. Verse 7 goes on, or it's actually middle of verse 6. It says, um, and this, not by water only, but by water and the blood. So, John wants to make a distinction here. Water and blood. Not water only, but by blood. He's really emphasizing the blood part. You have to catch the blood with the water part. Now, his, his bright readers would read this and go, oh, yeah, water and blood. You remember that, right? Some of you, like, Bible readers. Where do you see water and blood in the Bible? Especially in John. The Gospel of John, right? When the soldier pierces Jesus on the cross with the spear, and what comes out of his side? Water and blood. And John writes at that point, it's John 19.35, he, right after that it says, Water and blood came out, and he says, He who saw it, he's referring to himself, He who saw it bore witness, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth, because I saw it. So that you may believe, he says. The reason I'm telling you water and blood came out of his side is I want you to believe it, because I saw it. I, I see John is saying that moment on the cross was a climax in his thinking. Because in first and, and excuse me, in the Gospel of John, think if you know the Gospel well, think how many times water appears in that gospel. Start in chapter one. Where you have Jesus coming up to John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes him. You see water. But at that moment, John tells the people, this is him who's going to baptize people in a way greater than I am. I'm baptizing you with water. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's greater. Hmm. Water, 
Holy Spirit. Then you turn the page to John chapter 2. What's Jesus' first miracle? Turns the water into wine. Then in John chapter 3, he talks to Nicodemus in the famous passage about who the gospel of the world has uh, John 3, 16. The gospel of the world gives the only begotten son who ever believes in him. Yeah, you guys need to know I need, I know, okay. <laughs> in John 3, though, he tells Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born of water and of spirit. So water and spirit is what happens whatever that means, is what happens when you are born again as a Christian. You're born of water and spirit. There's a connection. The baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a connection. Water, spirit. Then in John chapter 4, verse 14, you remember the, the Samaritan woman? He's talking to her at the well, and he starts telling her, look, I've got living water you know nothing of. Drink of it, you'll never thirst again. She's like, I want this water. Like, yeah, if you drink of my water, not only will you never thirst again, but eternal life will bubble out of you. Water and eternal life now. And then, the other significant one is John 7, verse 37. Jesus stands up before the people, and he says, Whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly will flow forth rivers and torrents and Niagara Falls, I added that, of living water. And then John puts a comment in the next verse, and he says, this he spoke regarding the Holy Spirit. So if you come to Jesus and drink of Him, which means receiving Him, which means believing in Him, you're going to have the Holy Spirit as living water inside of you, flowing forth. So I show that to you to show that John has this intricate connection between water, the Spirit, and eternal life. They're all woven together as almost a synonymous thing. All that to say is I conclude that when he says that Jesus is the one who came by water, he's saying that Jesus came offering possession of eternal life through the indwelling Holy Spirit. He came to give us eternal life, to give us living water. That is really good news. <laughs> but John says that he almost just like bypasses that. Yeah, yeah, water and blood. That's the important thing, the blood. Why is the blood important? I don't know if you remember, because this feels like a long time ago. I haven't said it for a while. But John, one of the reasons he wrote this letter is because there are little people in his church. We call them antichrists. That's his term. Antichrists going in the church, spreading all these fairy tales about Jesus. And one of the things they said was that Jesus never became a man. He was God and he kind of just floated down as a spirit. He was this emanation, this like, like hologram or something for us. And he was there and all, but he wasn't actually human. For example, he never really had to eat. Obviously, he never went to the bathroom. Um, he was never really tired. In fact, I don't even think he really touched the earth. And so with that thinking, you have to conclude. So when he was on the cross, what was that? He never really died. It was just, we, it looked like he died for us. So if Jesus didn't die, if he wasn't, uh, if he didn't come down as a man, what happened? What happened to my sin? It's not paid for. No one died for it. It was all an illusion. And so John says, "I have to stop now. Stop this." And so he's he's giving them the truth. 
Jesus, here, here's the conundrum. If you, if you, you guys know the Trinity. <laughs> it's like that thing like we get but we don't get. Christianity's full of things that are beyond us. God says my ways are higher. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Trinity's one of those. Here's another one. Jesus Christ is 100% God. There's not an ounce missing of his deity. Full on sovereign and powerful. The ruler and creator of this universe. At the same time, when he walked on this earth and died for our sins, he was 100% human. While being 100% God. It's not like he took God off. Alright, I'm man now. He was man while he was God. It's not 50-50, or is it not like a light switch? God now, man now, and just trying to... Miracle, I'm a God now. I'm tired, I'm a... I'm a what, no. Miracle, wait, what did I... I don't know. It's not like you just turn it on and off. You can turn me off. He, he was 100% both at the same time. I just like to think of it as God in the costume of a man. But I don't know how else you want to think of it. And I think that that's the point that John is getting to when he says, by water and by blood. If you're not 100% human, you don't bleed. The Greeks had their mythology, and the gods, when they bled, they didn't bleed blood. They bled water. Because they were immortal. They weren't man. But Jesus came to earth as 100% human, which means he's mortal. He can die. And so John emphasizes at the cross, when they thrust the spear in him, after he finished everything, he cried, it is finished on the cross. They thrust the spear in him, he's already dead. And what came out? Water, because through that event, eternal life comes for us, and blood. Because he was a man, and he truly died. And my sin and the death I deserved was paid for through Him. By water and by blood. So you can't have water if you don't have blood. In other words, you can't have eternal life if you don't have the man-God sacrifice to give that eternal life to you. And that's the point that the, that the testimony says. God's given us eternal life and eternal life is in His Son. Because He really became a man and really died for us. So... The one we're talking about when you say Jesus is the one who came by water to give us eternal life and the one who came by blood, meaning he died to purchase that eternal life for us. You don't do anything to gain that eternal life. He purchased it on the cross. And it's given to the man of faith. Not the man who works for it. If Jesus purchased it, I think that's why John emphasizes the blood part and why at the cross it's like he came to the climax. Out came water and blood. And I write this so that you can believe. So, that's the Jesus we're talking about. I hope that makes sense. So, in summation, this is the testimony of God concerning Jesus. One, God gave us eternal life. Two, this eternal life is in Jesus. Who's Jesus? Three, he's the one who came by water, meaning... He came to give life. And four, he's, the, he's also the one that came by blood, the one who died to purchase that life for us. That's the one we're talking That's the testimony of God. Alright. So we said, assurance of eternal life comes by believing and receiving that testimony. 
Namely, that eternal life is in Jesus. So, receiving eternal life by believing the testimony of God. Verse 10 sums this up for us. This is how we get this eternal life. By believing. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The testimony could be the same thing as eternal life. You have eternal life. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. So someone who believes this testimony of Jesus, what God has said about him, you believe that, what happens is you receive eternal life. You're receiving Christ. He's in you. Eternal life is dwelling in you. You have it now. It's not something you're going to get later. And if you don't believe, John doesn't just say like, okay, well you're just dumb or you just don't get it yet or you're just a, too bad of a sinner, you love the world too much. All that might be true. But John is very blunt here. He says, if you don't believe this testimony about Jesus, you call God a liar. To call God, the eternal good God, the fount of all glory, the, the most, what's the right word for him? Like the, the summit of the universe. He's just, there's nothing. He's God. And you look him in the eye when you reject Jesus and say, oh, he wasn't really man, he wasn't really God, he didn't really give us eternal, there's other ways to God. You look at God and might as well flip him off and say, you're a liar, I don't believe you. I believe the testimony of man instead. That book, the good man Jesus and the scoundrel Christ. That's what I want to believe. And we live in a society that thinks that because you want to believe it, it's true. You're calling God a liar and that's why you go to hell. To tell the true, eternal, good God, liars. So that's what he says happens. And, you know, how do you know? So you, you receive this eternal life by believing in that testimony. But how do you know that you believe it? How do you know that you've actually received eternal life? I don't touch it. I don't see it. I don't smell it. Here's how you know that you have received eternal life because you believe Jesus. How are you living? What desires do you pursue? Because you notice that it says, look, look at verse 11 for a second. No, no, it's actually verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. You catch that? If you believe the testimony of God concerning Jesus, you have Jesus, which means you have life. I, I used to always think that what, this, what eternal life meant was, I'm going to get eternal life when I die. John says, you, if you have Jesus now, you have eternal life this second. So, if I have eternal life right now, then the things I'm going to live for are the things of eternal life. If I don't have eternal life, the things I'm going to live for are the things that are not eternal. In other words, they're temporary. I'm living for things that are fading away. Go to chapter 2, verse 17. This will smack you in the face. 2, verse 17 says this. The world is what? Passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides for 
ever. What's the world? I think we bring this up in every message, guys. What's, what's the world by now? The three desires, right? The NASCAR track. If you have no idea what I'm saying, you just have to listen to it later. Satan throws these desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions. Because we're going and we're loving Jesus, and these three things come and they try to turn us away from Jesus. He's got this little NASCAR track to keep us running in circles all the time. And the Bible calls this the world. And it's got those three desires in it. So when I'm living for those desires, am I living for eternal life or for fading away life? The world is fading away. So you know that you've received eternal life if you are living for the things of eternal values, not the things of fading away values. Like the world and its desires. That's how you know. See, believing is more than merely mentally agreeing with God. Oh yeah, Jesus, your son. Yeah, you get, yeah I, amen. 80% of Americans are there. That's, that's the pulpit pew. I mean the... Pew, what's it called? What's the, what, There's one of the... Pole? Um, no, this is so funny. What is it called? And they go around asking people questions. Yeah, there's another word though, isn't there? Okay, survey. It's called the Pew Survey. And um, they found that 80% of Americans believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He died for sins, and He rose from the dead. 80%. I'd rather actually say 80% of Americans are living for the things of the world, which tells me they haven't received eternal life, because they're not living for eternal life, they're living for temporary life. So, believing... It's not just mental agreement. Believing is receiving. As verse 12 said, if you have the Son of God, you have eternal life. If you believe in Him, you have eternal life. So something is gained when you believe. Something changes. As verse 1 said last week, you become born of God. Something, something, Did anybody hear that or was that just me? Something happens. You receive something. Oh, I just lost all thought here. (laughs) That's why I say the assurance of eternal life comes when you believe the testimony of God. I didn't say that though. I said when you believe and receive the testimony of God. So I know I believe it. If I'm receiving, I'm receiving eternal life now, it's in me. And I know I have it in me because what comes out of me is the desires of the eternal values, not of the fading away values of the world. So that's how you know, right there. So, here's what I want to do to close this, is to guard us. Give us protection against deception. Because we have many testimonies out in the world right now. We have the testimony of God, which we've looked at as saying it's eternal life in Jesus. And we have the testimony of man. The good man Jesus and the scoundrel Christ. And plethora of other ideas and works. So I want to I protect us against the deception. Which Jesus or which testimony have you received? Or are you believing? And if you believe in Jesus, if that's your claim, have you actually received from Jesus eternal life? We cannot believe God's testimony unless we receive the testimony from Him. I want this to be abundantly clear. What's a testimony? It's someone's declared truth, right? 
They de- God declared it. This is truth. This is my son, Jesus. Eternal life is in him. So to receive that testimony, it has to come from God himself, or it's not God's testimony. You get it? If, if you are receiving a testimony from me, it's not God's testimony. I'm a man. You have to hear it from divine word himself. So if you're not receiving the testimony from God himself, you're not believing God's testimony. You're just believing man's testimony. So this is, this is what I want to do. There's two ways to prevent us from receiving man's testimony because we have to guard against this. You, you don't even know it. You totally think I'm with Jesus. My question, if you really believe Jesus, have you received assurance and truth from Him, Himself? I, I don't know what you're talking about, Brandon. <laughs> listen up. Others of you know exactly what I mean. You know God. You've heard His voice. You've received joy from Him. You've received forgiveness. You've received strength when you were weak. You've received a renewed heart. Anyways, two ways. Number one, (laughs) by preaching truth from the Bible. Now, that's not an application to you directly. It's more indirectly. But we receive God's testimony by preaching truth from the Bible. So, that's why in my preaching, it is my aim to cultivate an unshakable love for Jesus in the hearers that's rooted in the scriptures, in here. An unshakable love for Jesus. Every Christian would agree with that one. Yes, Jesus! But rooted in the scriptures... We're going on much finer territory here. It has to be rooted in Scripture because this is God's Word. And I never, heaven forbid, if I ever come in with my philosophies and my ideas and my creativity and my whatever and just start spewing, you guys, yeah, yeah, it's good, and eating it up, and we totally miss God in the whole thing. I believe we can totally hold on to ideas of Jesus without holding on to Jesus Himself. And the ideas are dangerous because ideas get thrown out by new ideas. But Jesus, nothing changes him or moves him. So we need our love for him rooted here in Scripture. That's why every week I stand up here, maybe to the chagrin of some of you, we tediously look at truth, tenaciously declare truth. To the point of like, oh gosh, show us a video for crying out loud. Well, it's like patty cake. It's so much easier. I affirm, I, I will never, I will never, and I have never, cease to open the Bible and to speak truth from it, regardless of who is offended by it, who doesn't agree with me, who rolls their eyes, who's got the face buried in their hands, the angry look at me the whole time. I don't care. It's not my words. I don't take it personally. I'm just a messenger declaring what God said. And this was tested one day. My last church I was at down the hill, this was about three years ago, um, you know, I was I was newer. I had just replaced the old guy, so I was going through that whole fun phase where it's like the popular competition. How does Brandon rank next to the old guy? And you know, you hear it all the time. And it's horrible. Um, and this one girl, she oh, I mean, she was a she was a hard one. Always a bad attitude. Always huffing and puffing every time I see you. Kind of like, is this over yet? Like five minutes in, right? 
It's just like so hard to keep the whole group's morale up when someone like that's there. And, um, she, you know, I remember clearly one day after I, I we were teaching Romans, so it was very heavy, weighty truth, and um, she comes up to me and says something along the lines of, you don't know or understand how to teach youth. I was like, excuse me, I went to Bible college, I did a school of ministry, I did preaching lab, and what in the world are you talking about, woman? And she goes, the whole like, you're way too serious with the Bible. I mean, you know, we don't like reading through the Bible if you just, like, you know, tell us and all. And uh, maybe a video here and there, it's a lot easier for us. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, just totally, like, just listening, like, being gracious. And I just went home, like, oh, my gosh. What in the world? What I took that to mean was, all right, Brandon, like, we love Jesus and all, but, you know, I don't really care about being rooted in the Scripture. I just want ideas. Just something easy. Just spoon feed me. Jesus loves everybody. He loves you. He gives you heaven. And like, what if that's all you ever know? No, seriously, though. If, if what you want is easy, the problem with that is when you get to college, you have some Ph.D. professor from the University of Smart People. I hate Christians. When you get to his classroom... <laughs> If all you have is easy doctrine or easy understanding of Jesus without it being rooted in Scripture, he's going to smack that right out of you very easily. If, like, if your understanding is an easy understanding, to knock it out will be easy. It has to be rooted in Scripture. You look at the redwoods, there is no wind on earth that's going to blow one of those things over. You look at their roots, I've never seen it, but I've been told they're very deep. <laughs> That's what we want to be. Our love for Jesus is founded on the Scripture. It's in there deep. Because if all you have are vague ideas, I, I swear I've heard this, if all you have are vague ideas about the gospel being a musical, I sat through a whole teaching, and the guy said, the gospel's like a musical. And he went on talking about how the gospel's like a musical. And I left going, you got to be kidding me. Like, that was totally easy to understand, and I get why. Because it's so vague, you don't have to get it to get it, if you know what I mean. That's true. <laughs> Truth, well-defined truth takes thinking. It takes understanding. And if all we have are vague little, like, metaphors and videos and little clap, hand claps, and like, we know Jesus, yeah, like, how easy is it going to be for the professor to slap that right out of you? But when it's rooted in, in tangible, seeable, provable Scripture, no one can pull it out of you without showing you through Scripture that what you believe is wrong. That's going to be a lot harder to do. So that's why I'm such a sucker, if you want to call me that. I am so um, insistent on preaching truth through the Bible. I don't want, I'm not here to make high school Christians. I'm here to make lifelong Christians. I know how to make high school Christians. It's really easy. You get bands all the time and you have lots of, I don't even know, I'm not that creative, but lots of fun and foo-foo stuff. And I'm all for that. We can have that here if you guys want to. I just need your help. But, um... Never divorce truth from all that from Scripture. So, I mean, I know how to make high school Christians. I know what high schoolers want, but I also know what they need. And I'm more interested in giving them what they need than what they want. So, wow, that was, took me way longer than I thought it would to say all that. Um, we don't need candy, in other words. Sugar-coated truth. That's easy to swallow.
we need Christians who believe because they've thought about it. All right. Second way. So the first way, uh, we, we don't be deceived in believing the testimony of man because we're preaching truth from the scripture. Second way is because we are personally hearing from God himself daily. Personally hearing from God himself daily. I may step on some toes here because this is more of the direct application. Um, too many Christians think they believe God's testimony but never receive anything from God. For example, in other words, you're never hearing God's voice actually speak to you. You're only hearing Brandon's voice every week. And that's all you ever hear. Or whatever, you know, if you go to someone's in that youth group, that's all you're ever hearing. Their voice. You never hear God's voice. You're never receiving from God. True story. This is um, actually happened at the college group here. There was a girl who came in a couple Sunday nights ago, and she hadn't been around for a while. And she started. She got dinner. She started eating, and she sat down. I don't know with who, but she sat down with somebody, and she said, "Where's Randy?" If you know Randy, who is a former teacher of the high school group or um, college group, let me go Monday night. And she's sitting there. She goes, "Where's Randy?" Oh, Randy's not here tonight. Oh, she looked really sad, and she finished dinner and left, and then stayed for service. You know what she was asking? Where's Randy? Not where's Jesus? She came to church to see Randy. When Randy wasn't there, she left, and we still haven't seen her. Where's Jesus is a better question. There's so many Christians who are relying, uh, here we go again, spoon, being spoon-fed by their teachers, by man, by the testimony of man. They, they're, you know what 1 Corinthians 3 calls Christians like this? He calls them infants in Christ. Why infants in Christ? Because how do you feed an infant? You can't even make food for them and then put the spoon in and say, just eat. Oh, you can't even spoon feed an infant. It's even worse. You feed an infant by putting it to its mother's breast and letting it suck milk from her breast. And when Paul calls them infants in Christ, that is no compliment. That's not like, oh, you're getting there. That is an insult to the highest degree. And he says, you are breastfeeding from your pastor. You're pathetic. You don't hear or receive anything from God. You're receiving from the testimony of man. And you're sitting there every week breastfeeding off of him. So, I, I, I did a whole message on that at uh, Monday night one night. I don't know if it was there, but uh, it was uh, funny. It was awkward, you know. It was funny in an awkward way. No, seriously though. Are you hearing from God? Are you receiving God's testimony from God? That's when you know you believe it. Because believing is always connected with receiving. And again, that's verse 12. If you have Jesus, you receive. You have eternal life always something that comes with believing. So, don't ever, don't ever divorce yourself from truth being preached from the Bible and from hearing God's own voice daily. Bran, I don't, I don't know how to do that, hear from God's voice daily. Don't abandon the basics of Christianity. They say, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> That's what they used to say. And then there's also a saying in the church, read your Bible and pray every single 
day. And you hear God's voice if you're open to that. Don't just, don't just, chapter this year, five minutes, what chapter am I? That one looks good. God, what the world, sweet! Run off. Jesus, help me with my test today, and you run off. Okay, cool. You did a work. That's what you did. You didn't, you didn't stop and listen. God, speak. Here I am. I, I, I may only have five or ten minutes, but I want to I silence and listen for your voice. Or, you know, the other classic one, the iPod bud in the ear, and you're like doing your devotions. Like, yeah. Seriously, come on. Listen. You have to receive from God. So that's why I say assurance of eternal life comes by believing his testimony and receiving his testimony, namely the testimony that eternal life is in Jesus. By believing him, you're also receiving eternal life. So, Father... I pray that that whole transaction happens here. God, we, we, we want that assurance of eternal life. We don't want to be jumping out of planes without full assurance that we're wearing a parachute. We want full assurance that we have eternal life. And you've declared truth, your testimony um, about Jesus. Eternal life is in Him, nowhere else. He's our beloved jewel, our treasure, our prized possession. When many of the disciples fled and turned from you, Lord, in John 6, you turned to your 12 disciples and said, Are you guys going to leave too? And they looked at you and said, Where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And Father, that's your testimony. And we believe that tonight. And if, if some don't, I, I pray that your spirit will awaken their hearts and bring belief to them. Save them by all means, Father. And let us receive as we believe. Let us know because eternal life burns in our hearts. Because we desire Jesus. Let us receive him as well, Father. All that he is. Even if he ruins our life, we desire eternal life. So, we pray this in your son's name. Amen.